As we continue in our Why Christmas series, it'd be really helpful to have your Bibles open. So at 1 John chapter 4, we're looking at verses 7 through to 21. So our fourth week in the series. You can also have a look at the back of the news and there's an outline there if that is of help to you. But if you have your Bible open or your Bible app ready, 1 John chapter 4, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your love. We pray now that as we come to your word, that in the power of your spirit, you might reveal your love more to us, that we might understand with a greater clarity and depth of the extent of your love, of your very nature, and that that might be reflected in our lives as we love one another. In Jesus' name, Amen. Over the past three weeks, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, looking back to Jesus' incarnation, so his coming into the world, looking forward with anticipation of his return, we've had the opportunity to delight right now in the gifts that Jesus brings. Hope that's real, peace with God, joy that completes, and today we come to the very final gift in our series, love lavished on us. You can know and experience God's extraordinary love. But even though we can hear that, and maybe we can even know that in theory, often, even as children of God, we can feel insecure and a bit nervous about God's love. We can kind of find ourselves thinking from one day to the next, He loves me, He loves me not. Personally, we can wonder, how can I have a certainty that God loves me? How can I be really, really sure? Broadly, we can wonder, can we really look to God as loving when the world is in such a mess? Now, it's not surprising that we can think that when there are so many issues around us. It's not surprising that we can feel that when our own experience of love can be really sketchy. In the letter to the community to whom John writes, it's important to note that he is writing to a church, so this is a community of believers who are fractured. This is a family divided. And as John works through the issues, diagnosing and pinpointing the root cause, we discover that actually top of his mind one of the key stumbling blocks that he identifies is that this is a people who haven't really understood the love of God. There are other issues, of course, but woven throughout the letter, and particularly when we come to chapter 4, John sees it as paramount to highlight and press that so many of their problems stem from a lack of understanding or really, really knowing the love of God. They don't understand love. Now, of course, it's only a week from Christmas, which means that all of the Christmas-themed romantic comedies will be populating Netflix feeds everywhere. Now, they all follow the same plot. I'm sorry if this really spoils any future Christmas-themed romantic comedy that you watch, but they all follow the same plot. An unlikely couple go away to celebrate 
uh, celebrate Christmas in the context of a really awkward family, and they discover that they actually do like each other, but they're too stubborn to express it. And so finally, just when things are proceeding merrily, uh, an issue erupts, only for things to be happily resolved in a moment of courage. That's usually what happens. John doesn't see the love of God as a sweet sentiment or a cutesy idea. But he understands God, he sees the love of God as paramount to understanding the gospel and living as a follower of Jesus. Can we really look to God as loving with the world in all its mess? Does God really love me and how can I be sure? Maybe that's you. Well, three things from 1 John chapter 4 in which we can delight in, hold fast, and pursue. Love is from God, we are loved by God, and love one another. First, love is from God. So verses 7 and 8. So these two verses really form the summary headline of everything that we're going to work through. So John, it seems, really understood the purpose of a topic sentence. So this is it, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So I want you to note, but temporarily park that instruction to love one another. I promise you we're going to come back to that later. Because it's critical to first know the key claim and cause from which everything else is dependent. Love one another, why? For, that is because, love comes from God. Or even more directly, John says God is love. In fact, John says it twice and in many varied forms. Not only is God the very source of love, is from him that love ultimately flows. He's the author of love. But love is so integral to who God is that it's not merely characteristic of God that he is loving. It's not merely a capacity of God that he is able to love, but that God's very nature is love. God is love. You cannot separate God and love. Often in our culture, love is crowned almost as a deity to be worshipped and pursued. You know, believe whatever you like, but so long as you're loving, then that's fine with me. We can kind of think, well, I'll take love, of course I'll take love, but I'll leave God. But the very reason as humans we long for love and to be loved is that we're made in the very image of the one who is love and from whom all love flows. You can't treat love as a standalone, independent from God, because he's the source. It's God's very nature. We see it perfectly expressed between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Note John does not say, love is God, but God is love. So love is so central to who God is that the moment you try to separate love from God, 
not only will you end up worshipping or be in danger of worshipping an ideal instead of the Lord, but you'll end up with a counterfeit and watered-down idea of love because God's standard of love, properly understood, would just be too much to bear and live out on your own. No, God is love. And that means at least three things. So three things really quickly. First, if God is love, it means that you don't need to embark upon some sort of global search, consuming a lifetime in the hope that you'll unravel the mystery of love, but that you simply need to go and can go to the very source of love. Second, if God is love, it means that it is from him that real love flows and is defined. Love is not just a badge that we wear, but it's a sign of who God is. Third, if God is love, it means that you can afford to trust him. You can rest in him, delight in him. John says you can rely on his love because there's no surprises. You can have the confidence that no matter what you face, God will be loving because it's not one of his activities, it's who he is. God will never act in a way that is incompatible with love even if we don't understand. So as Dodd puts it, to say God is love implies that all his activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is the expression of his nature, which is to love. It's why when Tim Keller just recently, in recent weeks, shared that he has stage four pancreatic cancer, that he was able to immediately say after sharing that news, he said, but it is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know and therein is my hope and my strength. How can we possibly trust God's loving nature like that? Because unlike human love, God's love just won't let us down. In recent years, the whole phenomena of catfishing, you may have heard about it or not, but catfishing is basically trying to trick someone online by using a fake identity. Well, catfishing has been on the rise. But one recent study found that catfishing doesn't just occur in scams, you know, when someone is pretending to be someone uh, in order to get something out of you. But actually, the study found that one in four women and one in three men admitted to catfishing in online to one extent or another, of presenting the identity differently, often in the context of prospective relationships. When it comes to love, it's no wonder that we can be hesitant and wary to trust, when so often our experience of love can be so distorted or painful, even by those who are closest. But not so with God. We can trust that God is love, not on a whim or by taking a chance, but because he's concretely shown us in his son. 
We are loved by God. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. So this is the proof. This is the evidence. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the type of love which God loves us is not hypothetical, but it's been concretely shown to us in Jesus. So this is how God has shown his love among us. He sent his one and only son to die for us. So I want you to know there's at least four glorious dimensions to that love. It's a love that takes the initiative. So note verse 9, God sent his son. So this wasn't incidental, it wasn't an accident. But even more, verse 10, not because we loved God, but because he loved us. So the initiative, the initiative is completely God's. So this is not like the type of relationship in which you will tell someone that you love them when they make the first move, or you'll forgive someone if they make the initial approach. God, before we are ready, before we're willing, he did it. So we didn't meet God halfway or part of the way or even a partial step of the way. It's not by our doing or any of our doing. It's all of God's doing. So that means that there is nothing we can possibly do to earn God's love and there is nothing that we must do to earn God's love. He's taken the initiative. It's also a love that is sacrificial. So to what extent has God demonstrated his love? Even unto death. So the word that John uses to describe Jesus' death is as an atoning sacrifice. It means that Jesus died in our place. That even though he was perfectly innocent, he, he carried the full force of our sin, for he had none of his own. With the death that we deserve, he carried that on himself in order that we could be declared forgiven. That's why John says later in verse 17 that we can have no need to fear judgment, even though Jesus will come to judge the world, not because we have done nothing wrong, but because for those who are in Christ, the price, the punishment for our sin, well, it's already been paid. It's a love that is indiscriminate. So Jesus didn't just die for some, but verse 14, to be the saviour of the world. So God decided to show his love to those who love him and those who don't. As one commentator puts it, God has only one son and he was sent into a hostile environment, rebellious world, on a rescue mission to redeem us and reconcile us to God. Finally, it's a love that is free. If God took the initiative, if there's nothing that we can possibly add to Jesus' death, this is a love that is of great cost to God, but made freely available to us. All that it requires is a response to receive his life-giving love. So look at verse 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, of course that doesn't just mean from an intellectual assent or acknowledgement, but with our hearts and our whole lives... God lives in them, and they in God. 
so often, very regularly, I, I meet people who really doubt God's love for them. Might say, I'm not good enough, or I haven't done enough, or I'm unforgivable. And if that's you, even if you resonate with a bit of that, I really would love to say to you and invite you to have another look at just how big God's love is. He's taken the initiative. He loved you sacrificially even unto death. And that love, well, it's freely available to everyone. If at any point in your life you in some way doubt that God loves you, all we need to do is stand at the foot of the cross and take it in. Growing in our awe and wonder of God's love won't just grow our confidence in God, but it also will compel us to love one another. So it's not only John's opening point in verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, but verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then also in verse 21, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So I'd love for you to see the pattern here. So not the cause and effect of God's love. If God is love, and you have begun to even grasp that God loves you, that God first loved you, then the only possible logical response is not only that we would love God, but that we would love one another as God has loved us. In fact, John says that if you love, it's a fruit of being born of God. Here John is speaking specifically about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we know from Jesus' command to love God and love neighbour, in fact, his command even to love our enemies, that if God is love and we are joined to him in love, then we must love all. So the love of God is not like a river to be plugged up when it reaches us, but that it would flow freely through us. But John continues to say that this is so central to the Christian life that not only is the presence of love evidence of a relationship with God, but the absence of love is evidence that some of them have no relationship with God. So verse 20, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. So I want you to hear what John is saying in his context. He's not saying that we need to earn God's love by the way that we love others or that we always need to be on the watch out, that we're loving enough, that there's some sort of spiritual love scorecard or something like that. But remembering that some of the issues in that divided community, that there were people present who thought themselves superior, yet they had no love for anyone. And so this is a warning to them. It's not a test that loving one another is not an optional extra for a follower of Jesus. It's not just when it's comfortable or if at no cost. But the way that we love one another matters because incredibly, God's love is made complete through us. The way that we love is a taste, a pointer to the perfect love of God. And so, you know, 
if there's someone in your life or your workplace who is really difficult to love or you find it really difficult to love, if it feels costly and hard and sacrificial, good news. In the smallest of ways, you are pointing to the type of love with which God has loved us. That's why it's so important. It's part of our gospel proclamation. We know that to be true. We just need to consider that how if a Christian community is characterised by bickering or gospel or selfishness, it, it reflects so badly on God. It just doesn't stack up and the world knows it. How could we claim such an extraordinary love, yet be unmoved by love in our lives? In the coming weeks and months, there will be likely plenty of challenge ahead, and there's already plenty of cause for division in our society right now, as people find themselves at odds with one another with different perspectives and positions. Culturally, we often do not know what to do with disagreement. At one end, people think, well, if your position seems incompatible with mine, well, I don't need to love you. You're out of my life. I can treat you with disregard. You're cancelled. At the other end, people think, well, I need to accept everything about someone in order to love them. But a gospel-shaped love never gives permission to hate, nor demands that we have to agree with everything in order to love, but can look deeply into a person and hold difference and say, I love you. Why? Because God first loved us. The love that's not based on our comfort, but based on the same type of love that God has for us. A love that takes the initiative, is sacrificial, is indiscriminate, and given freely. How can we possibly do this? Let's just have a look over these verses and see. How can we possibly do this? Verse 13. Because he has given us his spirit. Verse 14. Because we know the testimony of the Son. Verse 15. Because God lives in us. Verse 16. Because we can know and rely on God's love. Verse 18. Because perfect love drives out fear. Verse 19. Because he first loved us. God supplies us with the reason relationship, and resources to love. Why? So that many people may come to know the love of God for themselves. This week, someone I know who's been in Toowoomba for a number of years, and they're about to move away, they've only been loosely connected with our church and involved in another church, but when I was talking to them, they shared with me that their experience in Toowoomba, this was their words, they said their experience in Toowoomba would not have been half as good without the experience of this Christian community. I can't tell you when I heard that how full of thanks I was and praise to God. I want to say that if that hasn't been your experience, I'm so sorry. And I hope that changes. But please take assurance that, that our love is just a dim reflection of the Master's love for you. I also want to say that if you have experienced love 
in the Christian community, in the context of Christian community, please know that it's not because we're brilliantly loving, but because we know that we are brilliantly loved. And you are too. God is love. We are loved. Love one another. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the extraordinary depth and breadth and richness of your love. We thank you so much that you are love, that you have taken the initiative, that your love is so extraordinarily sacrificial, that you love indiscriminately, and that you offer that love freely to us. Lord, please forgive us for the times in which we have so spectacularly fallen short of that standard. Lord, please help us to really rely on your love, that we might grow in our experience of your love, but also by the power of your Spirit in the expression of your love. Lord, I pray that we as a community here at St. Bart's might be so characterised by your love that through the way we love and all that we say, we might constantly proclaim the good news of Jesus. Lord, I particularly pray for for anyone here today who has really struggled to accept your love. Lord, I pray that please, in your kindness, that you would really reveal the depth of your love to them, that you would be at work in their heart, in the power of your spirit, that you'd be showing your love through the context of Christian community, but most of all, that they might see your love poured out through your Son. Lord, please help us to rest in you, to know your love, and to proclaim it to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.